Welcome, my friends, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the Tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Welcome to the Tube of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. My name is James Hickson. And I'm Trey Lawson. And we are coming to you from the distant past. Now, usually when we record a podcast, we're recording a few days before the episode drops. But now we're actually recording a few weeks before the episode drops. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you are hearing from us far earlier than, than normally would happen. Um, and, and it's worth just sort of throwing that warning out there in advance, because we may reference some things that are news to us right now that, that could very well be old hat by the time you get this uh, in, in a couple weeks' time. Yeah, for one thing, who's going to win the election, Hillary or Trump? Right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, this is actually a trend we'd like to continue. Uh, we, we, we really do need to get more of a, you know, a headway on recording our episodes. Mr. Gravely would really appreciate that. Right. Uh, um, he, uh, he doesn't like it when we cut things so close. Yeah. Something about uh, affecting his bottom line, whatever that means. Yeah. It's, it, it's kind of frowned upon when you were, you know, we're editing the episode minutes before it's supposed to drop, which has happened before. Um, uh, more like minutes after it's supposed to drop. Oh, we don't talk about that. Uh, But yeah, this is actually a trend we would like to continue. So, unfortunately, maybe from from your perspective, this you you may be hearing from us further and further into the past as it goes along. We'll see. I mean, in all likelihood, we'll be dead by the time you hear this. (laughs) In any case, the the main sort of meat and potatoes of the episode are comics that were published literally decades ago. So. It's not like they're going to get any more out of date than they already are. This is true. So, speaking of comics that came out decades ago, this week on Tomb of Ideas, we are talking about... Uh, We've got Ghost Rider number 4, Tomb of Dracula number 17, and Adventure into Fear featuring the man called Morbius... Number 20. Right, so not a new title for us, but a new character in that title. Yeah, you might call it a new feature, uh, because the the title hasn't changed, the numbering hasn't changed, but we have completely shifted focus away from Man-Thing, since he's got his own book, uh, to uh, Morbius the Living Vampire, who now is featuring in both that and his magazine. I was about to say, Morbius already has his own book. I mean, Sort of. Well, except he's now sharing that with Satana, at least for now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that looks like when we get to that issue for this month. Right. But, anyway, bef- uh, b- before we get into the comics, though, um, we should probably take a little bit of a detour, as early as it is, into the hottest segment in podcasting. You know it. You love it. James Gets Naked. Oh, wait. Why? This is an audio... I mean, no. You know what? Just, no. I'm not even going to touch it. No. I mean, they'd probably pay extra if you did touch it. (laughs) (laughs) 
were talking about Hellstrom Watch. Oh! Oh! <laughs> I, we might cut that part out. <laughs> Possibly. All right. <laughs> Have we broken the, the beeping machine? Like, is this what has happened? <sighs> anyway, Trey, fill us Screw up with we'll rumors from Marvel Media. So, first off, most importantly, as far as we know, Hellstrom is still happening. Yep. But we have no new news on it. Nothing new has come out. As far as we know, episodes exist. They've been shot. And that's it. Um, yeah. But we have some other MCU TV series news. Yeah. Across uh, the board, really. We've got in news about two shows that are currently in production, as well as uh, a couple shows that are going to go into production sometime in the future. So first off, in production, there is a rumor, and and let's stress that, that for now it's just a rumor, that the Loki TV series may set up or introduce Kang the Conqueror in the MCU. Yeah, which is, okay, I'm going to say really exciting for me, because uh, I'm sure I've mentioned on the show before, I'm an old Avengers fanboy. So the idea of my favorite Avengers villain showing up in the MCU finally would be pretty awesome. Yeah, and and, and there's there's reason to to believe this. We know that Loki is probably going to involve the Time Variance Authority, and the Time Variance Authority has crashed has clashed with Kang on numerous occasions. Yeah. Now It'll be interesting to see who they cast as Kang. It'll also be interesting to see how closely they hew to the blue face dude in armor. Mm-hmm. Which, now that I think about it, probably would not be that hard to do in the way the MCU does things. Right. I think they could probably do that pretty well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not that far removed from a Stark armor. No. Which is part of why... Uh, well, we'll get there. But, um... But yeah, and so one of the other reasons to, to think this is that in Endgame, Tony Stark says you mess with time, it tends to mess back. And that doesn't really happen so much in Endgame, except I guess you could maybe say with with the alternate Thanos showing up. But, but really, lots of fans have suggested that you mess with time, it tends to mess back is meant to lay the groundwork for if Kang was to show up later. Which would be interesting. Yeah, well, and especially now that now that Disney slash Marvel has the Fantastic Four back, they can actually do the Nathaniel Richards stuff. They can do the Ramatut stuff. Like they they can delve as far into Kang or as little into Kang as they want. Yeah, I mean, like you could have Kang be the villain in the Fantastic Four movie as Ramatut. You could have him be the next Avengers villain in the Avengers as Kang or Amortius. Yeah. I mean, heck, you could have him show him the Guardians of the Galaxy if you really wanted to. And it could all be different points in the timeline for him. Right. Right. So, 
yeah, this is cool. This is an interesting thing. Side note, I have conflicted feelings about Kang just because one of the very first Avengers comics I ever bought was part three of four of a story arc featuring Kang that made <laughs> absolutely no sense. Is this the one with uh, with um, War Machine, U.S. Agent, and Thunderstrike? Yes, so the Avengers team in this book is U.S. Agent, War Machine, and Thunderstrike alongside Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor. You cannot judge Kang by 90s comic books, sir. I know that, and I've read good Kang stories since. It's just, I will never forget the feeling of utter confusion and being totally lost that I felt while reading that comic. This is why we have Avengers Forever. Right, right. So Kang can make sense again. Yes. And then we have Young Avengers because it's just darn fun. Right. And more on that one in a minute, actually. But uh, next on our list here is that in terms of currently in production, Carl Lumbly has joined the cast of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Now, now Carl Lumbly is uh, probably best known to comic book fans as the voice of Martian Manhunter uh, in most of the DC Animated Universe stuff. Also, he plays the Martian Manhunter's father on Supergirl. Yes, yes. So, and he's done lots of other stuff. Lots of credits to his name. But as far as comic book fans are concerned, that's probably the most notable thing. Um, And what's interesting about this is that it has been suggested that Carl Lumbly might be playing Isaiah Bradley. Which would allow them to bring Patriot into the MCU, speaking of uh, Young Avengers as you were. Right. So, Isaiah Bradley uh, first appeared in the early 2000s, Truth, Red, White, and Black, uh, and was an attempt to use the origin story of Captain America as a way of commenting on some of the less honorable things that the U.S. government has done, such as uh, the uh, Tuskegee experiments. And so what we have is, after the, the creation of Captain America, Steve Rogers, the military continued experimenting with versions of the super soldier serum based on Captain America's blood, I think, uh, specifically using African-American soldiers as test subjects. Okay. And so only Isaiah Bradley survives. He's the only one to survive this imperfect version of the super soldier serum. And is forced to go on a suicide mission, which he takes using a sort of pieced together Captain America suit that he's basically stole. Um, and Bradley completes his mission and survives, but the Nazis capture him and throw him into prison. And after he gets uh, rescued from the prison, he's court-martialed and accused of going AWOL. Um, as well as being accused of attempting to impersonate Captain America. So he spends 15 years in solitary confinement. So Isaiah Isaiah Bradley has a very sad story, but uh, in the modern day of Marvel Comics, he's something of a folk hero among uh, heroes of color. Yeah. Now, I think originally the, the pitch for the story was he was actually the first Captain America. Yes. So that was that was what they originally pitched, was that he was going to be 
the test subject that came before Steve Rogers. Yes. Um, but they ended up reworking it as they went, and so he became an attempt to recreate the formula. Yeah, I was actually unaware they had changed that. Mm-hmm. So I guess I, I, that makes sense. You know, you want Steve Rogers to be the first because right. he's Captain America. Well, and it, it if, makes if it this less other muddy. if this other guy came first, it complicates why Hydra attacked the second time instead of the first time. True, it does kind of create plot holes. Um, but anyway, so Isaiah Bradley, he, he becomes this sort of folk hero among Marvel uh, heroes of color. Luke Cage looks up to him. Uh, Falcon looks up to him, so on and so forth. Uh, it's a like it's a really big deal when he shows up for Black Panther and Storm's wedding. I, I know I read that, but it's been so long. I don't um, remember reading it. Yeah, because because they among the heroes of color, he's the black Captain America. Gotcha. And and so he has a son who also becomes uh, something of a superhero. Um, and I'm blanking on his name right now, but the the more sort of relevant character to what we're talking about is that his grandson is. Uh, eventually becomes Patriot, who is yeah. the the sort of Young Avengers equivalent of Captain America. And so, along with what has been suggested about Speed and Wiccan in uh, WandaVision, and what has been suggested with Kang in uh, Loki, it seems like this first round of Marvel... TV shows on Disney Plus could potentially be laying the groundwork for a Young Avengers project of some sort. Yeah, and of course we do have more Disney Plus news, including a rumor that William Hurt, Thunderbolt Ross, will become the Red Hulk in the She-Hulk series that's being planned. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's fine. Yeah. I... <sighs> Red Hulk is not one of my favorite creations in the Marvel Universe, but... Yeah, um, honestly, I like Red Hulk more in some of the later stuff than in the early appearances. Um, I, the, the, I liked when Red Hulk was leading the Thunderbolts, because mm-hmm. that just makes so much sense. Because he's Thunderbolt Ross. Oh... And also, his team of Thunderbolts was, I think, Punisher, Deadpool, Elektra, uh, I forget who else. But it was basically all major, like, assassins in the Marvel Universe. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. And, and then the there was a second Red Hulk later, who was a member of the U.S. Avengers. The team that was led by... Uh, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage's daughter from the future, where she has become Captain America. Wait, there it wasn't the same Red Hulk? No, that's a different Red Hulk. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So so there's been two, but but the one that everyone knows is Thunderbolt Ross. And and his whole deal oh. is that when he gets the angrier he gets, he doesn't get stronger, he just gives off more radiation. That doesn't sound good. No, it's really unhealthy for everyone around. Oh, nice. Yeah. And 
our last bit of MCU news is Daniel Radcliffe is debunking those Moon Knight rumors we reported previously. Yeah, he did an interview recently, first off, where he said that currently he's not looking to be a part of any major franchise, and that if if he does agree to it, uh, he will have pretty high standards, because uh, if you're signing on for that many years of something, that you really have to be happy with it. And uh, but but as part of that, he said, yeah, no one's even approached him about Moon Knight, which is kind of shocking. It is. Um, we'll we'll see where that goes. Hopefully, there there are some other names on the short list since apparently he's not on it. Because that rumor was really prevalent. It was, and people were like cool with it. You know, like like fans were like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But, like, it, it was supposedly between him and Shia LaBeouf. Right. Which, I wouldn't hate that either. No. I don't think Shia LaBeouf is nearly as bad an actor as some people claim he is. No, not at all. So, and, I guess we're kind of wide open with Moon Knight right now. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, the last bit of, of news I've got that's sort of MCU related is that there was an interview with, uh, with the chairman of Sony Pictures... That was about a whole bunch of stuff, but they they asked about Spider Man, and of course, and their story was that the conflict with Disney was way overblown, and that they probably would have worked things out anyway, but that the news sort of got ahead of the negotiations, which maybe maybe not, but more importantly, the chairman of Sony also said that he is. He is, uh, and this is his word, hopeful that Spider-Man can remain in the MCU beyond their current deal. Don't you play with me, Sony. <laughs> Don't you play with my heart. So, but, so that's I mean, good news. It, I, I feel like they'd be stupid not to. Yeah, and, and if they can figure out a way to make this like hybrid shared universe where there's like a Spider-Man wing and an MCU wing... And occasionally one or two characters cross over. Like, I can live with that. That's a fair compromise. Yes. Although, God, I still don't want to watch Venom. <laughs> I've still never seen it. We really need to watch it together. We, we should. Uh, and, and I guess that's... Uh, I, I didn't have this on the list. But Venom 2 is in production. There are set photos of Woody Harrelson uh, filming as uh, Cletus Cassidy. Um it looks like he has a better wig this time. Yay. But the last thing that, that I guess we can talk about here, uh, it's not really movie related, but and it's not even technically Marvel related, but it's a big deal, and it literally just happened today as we record this, and that is that over at the Distinguished Competition, Dan DiDio is out. Dick Grayson is saved! Yay! But yeah, so Dan DiDio I, was co-publisher of DC alongside Jim Lee since like 2010. He's been an, uh, a major editor since before that. And he's, he's completely out by all accounts. Yeah, I mean, as someone who has lost his fair share of jobs in his day, uh, I, I, I hate to see it happen to someone else. But... I'm really not a fan of where Dan DiDio... And so this is 
um, friend of the show, Michael Bailey, speaking because I just read his post on this, and it, it it just said exactly what I wanted to say. You know, it's you don't like seeing somebody lose their job, mm-hmm. but he took the DC universe to some dark places. He did, and it was under his tenure that the DC universe got so broken that they ju- they basically had to launch the new Fifty Two. Because otherwise, there were some characters that they just couldn't use anymore. Yeah. And, you know, it's also under his tutelage that, like, you know, I say Dick Grayson saved. The man really hated Dick Grayson. Yes. He was not a fan of Dick Grayson. It's amazing to me that a book as awesome as Tom King's Grayson actually happened under DiDio's sort of oversight. Because he wasn't in tights. That's fair, because it was a spy book. It wasn't a cape book. Yes. Because that's... Well, and that was... But even that, it was... It was a... Like, a book that fixed it, because before Grayson launched, in a major crossover event, Dick Grayson was outed as Nightwing publicly, and uh, had to, like, fake his death in order to continue operating. And so, again, it's a miracle that coming out of that story, we we got something as good as Grayson was. Yeah. Of course, now we, are, we currently have the um, Rick Grayson. I think that's getting better, though. My understanding is that that is on its way out. Well, yeah. That, uh, that, I mean, that has Dan Adio's fingerprints all over it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that he shaved his head, he quit wearing the costume... Uh, he changed his name. Like, there are some very talented writers on that book. Yeah. Isn't, isn't um, Dan Jurgens on that book? I know Fabian, um, did not... Oh, God, what's his name? Yeah, Nicieza. Nicieza. Which, it's not hard to say now that I say it, Nicieza. Uh, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but yeah. Um... It has creators like Dan Jurgens and Fabian Nessieza on it. Both very talented guys. Um, Fabian has is friends with me on Facebook. Very nice guy. But uh, it's just... It feels like editorial edicts mm-hmm. being handed down to write this. And I think both of them are workman writers, workman creators. They're like, okay, we'll create this. Sure. And, and I mean, there are points in their careers where... You know they they can they can sort of take on that role, and you know we may totally be off base on this. You know, possibly, possibly. If, if you know, if you have insight on this and you're listening to the show and you can say definitely that hey, you're wrong about this. That it's not Dan Video issuing these these uh, sort of creative decisions. It's possible. I mean, I'm happy to be wrong, but uh, but it 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 feels right to me based on what I know of his preferences. Yeah, it's um, also is is worth mentioning. Yeah, also uh, one thing that uh, that as far as a direct uh, result of this is, I am curious because in addition to being a co-publisher, Didio is currently about halfway through a Metal Men miniseries that he was writing. Oh, and it was it was solicited for twelve issues. Oh. 
So I am, I don't, I don't know if he's going to continue working as a writer until that is done. It sounds like he's completely out, but I, I just want, I wonder if it's already written and they're just going to print what they have. I don't know. Also, another thing that kind of brings it back to the Marvel theme of our show yeah. is that the, for a long time, the rumor was the reason we weren't getting any more Marvel DC crossovers is because of personal animosity between Dan Dio and Joe Quesada. Right. Which, and Quesada got his start more or less at DC before jumping to Marvel, where he had way more success at Marvel, and, and apparently there, there's some beef between those two guys. Yeah, which, again, we don't know if that's true or not, but it's just, it's what we've heard. You know? Right. And, and not only have there been no new crossovers between DC and Marvel, but even the old ones just don't get reprinted anymore. No. Which like, like, I would... Like, like you just can't get a, a good trade paperback of JLA Avengers. No. And you can't get any any trades, I think, of the Amalgam stuff. They were the ones that were printed in the 90s. Right. And then those were never seen again. Yeah, and that makes me sad because I love those Amalgam books. I, I pick up floppies of those whenever I find them in back issue bins. Yeah, I feel... And I... Did it? Did JLA Avengers even get a hardcover? It got collected. Yes, I don't know if it got a hardcover if it was just softcover. Because if there was ever a miniseries that deserved a hardcover, that was it. Because my, I mean, God, that deserves the oversized prestige format. To be honest, it really does. Like, 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 do like an essential vault? Like, not essential, but uh, what is it? The the. the absolute edition. Absolute? Yeah. That deserves an absolute edition. In fact, what you do is you do a hardcover, you put absolute at the absolute JLA slash Avengers, and then at the bottom you put Masterworks. <laughs> Epics. Um, yeah, that would be interesting. But anyway, we're not a DC podcast, no. and you know what? We really don't like talking too much about the personal animosities and no rumored slights it's it's the, it we're not a gossip show no and at this we point there's just no hard news like all we know for sure is that he's out but like we said you know we're recording this a few weeks in advance by the time you hear this you may know everything right you know there may be some like hard video footage evidence of like a meltdown a conference room where somebody chokes out a bitch but you know what <laughs> we don't know Right. So, what we do know is that we've got issues of Tomb of Dracula, Adventure into Fear, and Ghost Rider. And we'll be talking about that Ghost Rider issue right after this message. Don't talk, just listen. Son, there is no hope, only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network.
fishing demon in the beat-up Chevrolet. It ain't worth a dollar, so he wrecks it every day. Now here is Kenner's SSB smash-up derby set. And you can hoot and holler, cause you ain't seen nothing yet. Crash, bang, crack them up, put them back again. Crash, bang, smash them up, it's smash-up time, my friend. Kenner's SSP smash-up derby set comes with everything you see right here. Welcome back to My Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Next up, first up on the show, we have Ghost Rider number four from February 1974. Writer is Gary Friedrich. Artist is Jim Mooney. Anchor is Vince Coletta. Letterer is Charlotte Jeter. Colorist is Patrick Goldberg. Editor, Israel Thomas. Our old boy, Johnny Blades, is running from the police again. He almost escaped them, but don't you know it, they got themselves a doom buggy. But our old pal, Ghost Rider, still managed to evade them before, whoopsie, the sun comes up, returning him to a severely injured human form, and he is promptly arrested. Luckily for him, Rocky has been visiting with the Attorney General in Carson City and met a deal that could get Johnny pardoned. Back in the hospital, Johnny is saved from getting roughed up by cops by the arrival of Dude Jensen, the big shot owner of the local dem- demolition derby, and also the man that Attorney General has asked for Rocky's surreptitious help getting some actionable dirt on. Two months later, finds Rocky and Johnny working at Jensen's demolition derby with the Ghost Rider as a star attraction. Things seem to be going pretty hunky-dory for the young couple, all things considered, before Roxanne wanders in on a resurface and no longer possessed Linda Littletree, putting the moves on young Johnny, causing Roxanne to run off. As she's running off, however, she overhears Jensen hiring an assassin to kill the driver who's winning too much, I guess. Alas, Roxanne is captured before she can warn anybody, and the assassin carries out his hit as planned just before the Ghost Rider obliterates him with Hellfire. Meanwhile, in Jensen's office, a tied-up Roxanne reveals to Jensen her connection to the AG, which doesn't seem to worry him too much as he sticks a gun in her face and tells her she's about to die. Oh, doggy. I tell you, this issue sure was a sumbitch. The, 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 this issue uh, reminds me so much of like a Dukes of Hazard episode. Yes, 100%. Uh, it's like... In which it... By which you mean it feels like a knockoff of uh, Smokey and the Bandit? Yes. <laughs> Why is there a dune buggy? I, I can't say, but... That very official-looking police-issued dune buggy is the goofiest-looking Marvel vehicle this side of the Spider-Mobile. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty goofy-looking vehicle, and it doesn't really do anything except give us an extra action scene. Right. Like the whole purpose of it is to give some Ghost Rider off-road. Exactly. It's an excuse to go off-road. It's an excuse to go off-road, and it kind of has an anticlimactic thing to it, because, of course, the sun shows up just in time. Right. Which, again, begs the question, how long have they been chasing him through the desert like this? Right, right. It, it It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Also, 
you know, they're, they're sticking with Ghost Rider being able to conjure a Hellfire bike, which is great. I actually love that idea. It means that we won't get any more scenes of the Ghost, of ghost Rider, like, stealing a truck or whatever. <laughs> but, but I feel like if your motorcycle is made of magic fire from hell, it ought to have some special abilities and maybe not be quite so beholden to the laws of physics. Yes. Also, we obviously have missed a golden opportunity for him to steal the Doom Buggy and turn it into a Hellfire Doom Buggy. Yes. That would be awesome. Yes. <laughs> See? Wasted opportunity, yep. Gary Friedrich, from <laughs> years ago. Now, I will say, this might be the best that Ghost Rider has looked in a while. I actually like... I like the art on on the skull and uh, and like how even in some of the close ups, like it looks like there's flames in his eyes. Like it's a cool look. Yeah, yeah, it, it looks good. It looks good. and that's Mooney doing his work there. Yeah, it, so it doesn't look like a mask anymore, which is really good. Which is good because he doesn't have a nose that you can clearly see, and I'm like, why is there a nose there? Right. Now, but really, we once. Johnny plays his capture. We get into the real meat and potatoes of the story, which right. is the, which I guess is kind of like the the what we did with the hell story, where you know we switch storylines mid book. Yes, yes. We we've basically started up a whole new arc here, but it starts on what page thirteen, fourteen. Yes. Where you kind of do get some carryover with the cops roughing up Johnny Blaze in the hospital bed. Although I find it interesting. on I like that panel on 15 where the two um, patrolmen are like, easy boy, we won't actually hurt you. We just got to humor Decker. Yeah, yeah that, he's, that guy's a piece of work. Yeah, he's in the French Connection too, one time too many. <laughs> but, of course, then we're introduced to Du Jensen. Which, yeah. honest to goodness, I thought the cop was calling him dude for a second there right as in like like a cowboy yeah and you know once he he starts throwing his way around and like you're almost like that's mr dude to you boy (laughs) but no his name is dude jensen and i swear to goodness i thought this guy was satan for a second there he's got that that very devilish uh van dyke yeah and I was f- sure it was going to turn out to be Satan at some point. It makes it might still do so. There could still be a supernatural connection. No, it, yeah, and of course now we have Roxy working undercover for the Attorney General, which I I don't quite understand why, but sure, yeah, we'll we'll go with it. Yeah, because you know, well, it's something I'm... about it's something about making the charges against Johnny go away. But Johnny already made the charges go away by signing up with Dude Jensen. Yes. And I'm sure the Attorney General of Carson City regularly employs teenage stunt women yeah. to go into dangerous undercover work. Right. Okay. I don't get it. I don't get it. And then she doesn't even particularly try very hard at that like she accidentally stumbles onto the plot and yes. gets captured but it's not like, like she was seeking it out she was no. just looking for johnny and so of course she immediately reveals that she's working undercover for the ag right like without any sort of threat or prompting she just like says it 
Like, you better not hurt me. I'm working for the Attorney General. And it's like, I'm oh, like, well, we're, we're going to hurt you extra now. Yeah. Like, okay. Also, let's talk about the assassination. Actually, yeah. no. Before we get to the assassination, let's talk about the Demolition Derby. Right. You're, Johnny Blaze is basically going from being an evil Knievel stand-in to what I always assumed was kind of like a slumming it circuit of motorsports. Yeah, something like that. It's definitely like usually depicted as like the the trashier, junkier, like the thing you only do if you're down on your luck and and there's nothing else you can do. Which I guess Johnny Blaze is. Sort of, I guess. But, like, it also just seems like... I don't know. A motorcycle doesn't belong in a demolition derby. And I guess that's the gimmick of this particular event. But, like, all these people just paid money to see Johnny Blaze die. Where, you know, it's kind of told... We're told that he's artfully dodging between crashes and cars and, like doing amazing stunts around the crashes, but we don't really see it. No, that's that's one failing of the art, is that the Demolition Derby feels very static. Yes. Where, you know, I think almost if you like give us one like one of the Spider-Man panels we would see later on, where you see him in multiple places at once and you see him dodging around, kind yeah, of being or- everywhere. Or even sort of the, I think of this as a Spider-Man or a Daredevil thing, but like the, where you get like the slightly faded drawings of him in different places showing yes, his progression from exactly point to point. that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I, I want that with Johnny Storm going around these crashes. I think that would be cool. Yeah. Right, so, because because otherwise what we have is like a bunch of shots of him on a motorcycle, which could even, like it, there's not even motion lines sometimes. No. Speaking of the motorcycle, Hellfire Motorcycle, it apparently stalls out in the middle of the race. Right? How do you manage to flood the engine of a magical Hellfire Motorcycle? I mean, like, maybe Johnny stopped believing in himself long enough. <laughs> maybe, he has, maybe he has to clap his hands like, I do believe in Hellfire Motorcycles. I do believe in Hellfire Motorcycles. Now, what would have been more interesting, what what should have happened based on the sequence of events is that somehow Rocky being in danger weakened his powers because he is only like his soul is only safe because of her belief in him and, and how pure her heart is and all that stuff. Right. And maybe Rocky thinking he's a cheating, no good, low down. So and so weakens his abilities. See, I like that, but they don't say that. No, like, and I, like that's a to me that's a much better use of the the love triangle than what they do, right? Because I could see, you know, Johnny actually being like, you know, sexually attracted to Linda because sure. she's a very attractive woman. But of course, he's romantically in love with Rocky, right? And you know, you could have that dynamic where he's, you know, part of him. Kind of, you know, he, he likes that Linda girl, you know. She's a, she's a good looker, and but of course he loves Roxanne, and and you could even have sort of the devil on his shoulder, like leading him one way versus the other way. Ah, I see what you did there, right? Yeah, but, but speaking of, it is wild to me 
that Linda Littletrees is still in this book. Yep. Like, if I had to pick one character from early issues featuring Ghost Rider that would continue appearing this far in, she would not have been one of them. Although we did kind of call it. We did. We, we, we're kind of like, you know, I'm getting more chemistry from Linda Littletree and, than, you know, Johnny and Roxanne. Yes, right although, now. weirdly, not this issue. Because this issue, no. Linda behaves weirdly out of character from the way she behaved last issue. She's just being yeah. a vamp in this. Instead of the very intelligent uh, girl who just happened to fall into to sorority style. Well, like, last time, she was, like, literally his teacher. Yeah. So, yeah, it's weird. It, 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 there's some stuff that happens that feels out of character, out of place. Um, it's still far from the worst Ghost Rider issue. Like, I, I, I had fun with most of it. It's just there were a few things that left me scratching my head. Like this assassination plot. Yeah, that's weird. It makes no sense that Jensen is deciding, oh, this guy is winning too much, is taking away some of the sp- suspense. Well... I don't know. Fire him? Right. I mean, Trey, you watch professional wrestling. Is it standard practice to kill a problematic performer instead of just, you know, banning him? Well, I mean, in professional wrestling, you would just, you know, tell him he's not going to win that night. True. (laughs) True. It's... But yes, no, in, in, in most combat sports... You do not fire the person for winning too much. Yeah. You also don't shoot him in the head. Right. For right, winning right. too much. Yeah. Absolutely not. I mean, this is... There's no, like, you know, mob set up here, like, you know, the or- Daredevil's origin, where it's like, he, he see The mob is trying to get into the Demolition Derby racket. No, this is literally just the owner of this, this show is killing off competitors in his own show. Yeah. But I guess because because Red Johnson isn't one of his guys. Right. That's why Red Johnson has to die. Well but, you know you Well then you just you tell run, him he can't compete anymore because he's not one of your guys. Yeah. You're like you run the Demolition Derby. I'm not sure how stringent the Demolition Derby League is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know is he going to get fined if he doesn't let a player play? I mean... Right. We're, we're the wrong co-host to be talking about sports. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, Red Johnson does get assassinated in this issue. Yes. Shot in the head. On panel, Ro- even. On panel, because, of course, Roxanne gets captured. She's unable to tell anybody that, hey, he's going to get killed. Right. So the sniper gets him. Yep. And then Ghost Rider immediately takes vengeance. Yes. He vaporizes him. Yep. He sets him on fire and destroys him. Which it does look like the mob is getting involved because apparently next issue is alone against the underworld. Yeah. So a different underworld than we usually see in this book. Yeah. But... Um, I mean, one last thing I did to point out, just because it's relevant to our own conversations over the past months, really, is that letters page. Um, the last letter 
is from Ira Bay, Brooklyn, New York. And Ira writes, Dear Gary, Jim, and Roy, Ghost Rider number two was awful. Just awful. Oh, it had a few good points, like the reappearance of Witchwoman, who's one of your most beautiful and potentially most dramatic characters. And that splash page was excellent also. Unfortunately, that's where the excellence stopped. The plot was thinner than the paper it was printed on. The dialogue was, well, let's put it this way, the quote, women's liberation confrontation between Ghost Rider and Witchwoman on Eleven was probably the silliest, most irrelevant, inappropriate, nonsensical bit of an inane hogwash I've ever read in a Marvel mag. If it, w- it wasn't, or sorry, it was totally out of place, and even if it weren't, it was so simplistic and stupid that it ruined the rest of the mag for me. From that point on, it seemed like the soundtrack was out of sync with the pictures. The rest of the art varied from fair to good to miserable. The scenes in Hell were the best. The scenes with the Cycle Gang, another hotshot plot gimmick, were the worst. Also, how come that part of the story looked like it was happening in broad daylight when we just saw the moon come up on page 12? Ah well, I could say much more. But most of it would be just as nasty as the rest of this letter, so why bother? I'll leave you instead with a positive thought. You can do better. I've read it. Tell us what you really think, Ira. <laughs> but at the same time, Ira's not entirely wrong. No. If I remember correctly, Ghost Rider 2 was trash. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, I think was that was the one. issue where we talked about the nose looking like a nose, so... Probably, yeah. Well, and, and I think we complained about the biker gimmick. We, we've complained about bikers since after the first issue where bikers showed up. But I think this was this was specifically the really rapey bikers. It was. Where you're like, Ugh. Yeah. The the ones that had, like, swastikas and stuff on their, their jackets? Yep. yep. Speaking of swastikas and stuff... <laughs> I can't... I, I, I've got a comment on the fact that, like, on page 27 onward, really, from page uh, 18 onward... Roxanne looks like a runaway from a Nazi youth comic book. It's just... Yeah? She's blonde, blue-eyed, pigtails, and wearing sort something Sort of the peasant very, dress. Yeah, something very similar to Lederhosen. Yeah. <laughs> but before that, she's, she looks like she's doing some kind of, like, stealth cosplay for the Star-Spangled Girl. True. True. Or she's, like, a really big Captain America fan. Yeah. Which in this universe could happen. This is true. So, yeah, I mean, this issue was fine. I mean, we're, we're grading on a curve because it's Ghost Rider. I would actually argue it's the best Ghost Rider issue of actual Ghost Rider that we've had so far. This is, yes, absolutely. I was going to say that too. Uh, again, grading on a curve. Yes. It, it's still nowhere near even, like, the mediocre levels of a Tomb of Dracula or a Werewolf by Night. No. Like, I would still rather read either of those books any day. But... For Ghost Rider, it's getting better. Yeah, you know, undercover work for the Attorney General, okay, sure, why not? Aside, it it seems to be going somewhere. Yeah, yeah. No, the 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 plot's moving. Yeah. I mean, the threat to Roxanne seems legitimate. Yes, yes. Considering that gun is literally pushed right into her cheek. 
Yes. Now I and I'm still getting a little tired of the damsel in distress stuff with with Rocky. Yes. Like that's become an almost every issue thing now, and I could do without it. Yeah. But that's also just this era of comics. That's true too. Anyway, we're gonna take another look at it, this era in comics when we come back with Tomb of Dracula number seventeen. Right after this message. Image Comics, formed in 1992 by several creators unhappy with their current place in the industry. So they band together to make a new comics company for a new generation of readers. Creator-owned mutants, cops, black ops government agents, demon-possessed, and they are going to be the greatest comics ever. In April of 1992, the first issues hit the stands, and fandom resounded with cries of... Pouches? Why are there so many pouches? pouches? What? You don't like pouches? All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, is one fan's exploration of those early years of Image Comics. Youngblood, The Savage Dragon, Spawn, and more, with maybe even a few pouches along the way. So come give a listen at johnreadscomics.com. That's John with no H. Just you can spell it right. For two million years in these subterranean caves, a creature of superhuman evil was entombed in a wall of ice, waiting to be free. Waiting to live again. Travel with us on a journey into a world where nightmare becomes reality. Are you telling me that an ape that lived two million years ago got out of that crate, killed the baggage man and put him in there? Yes, I am. It's alive. It must be. Travel with us, if you dare, on the Horror Express. No one can stop the fury and the terror of the Horror Express. Quiet! I don't want to panic the passengers. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our next issue for today is Tomb of Dracula, number 17. Cover date is February 1974. The writer is Marv Wolfman. Art by Gene Colan. Inks by Tom Palmer. The letterer is John Costanza. 
Colorist is Tom Palmer. The editor, Roy Thomas. Our title for today, Death Rides the Rails. As morning approaches, Dracula arrives at the location of one of his coffins, hidden in Paris. But he is shocked to find it destroyed by Blade, who reveals that he and his companions have destroyed all four of Dracula's coffins that are in the area, and they split up to ambush him no matter which he chose to rest in. The vampire hunter then attacks, but Dracula overpowers him and feeds on him before departing. Dracula escapes to an even more secret fifth coffin, and the next night he boards a train from Germany to Transylvania. However, Frank and Rachel board the same train, biding their time to attack the vampire. In addition, a mysterious man named Gruber and his bodyguard Granet are aboard with a mysterious briefcase. Dracula leaves his quarters to feed and passes by Jack Russell, also headed to Transylvania for unknown reasons. Back in Ireland, the vampire Brand is given a final combat test by Dr. Sun, which he passes by thoroughly defeating Sun's best fighters. Back on the train, Dracula is surprised by a young boy who brings the vampire to his mother's attention. Unable to restrain his hunger, Dracula bites the woman. Her screams alert Frank and Rachel, as well as arousing the suspicions of Gruber and Grenet. Frank and Rachel confirm that the woman is alive, and was not bitten severely enough to turn undead. Dracula returns to his room, where he is attacked by Grenet. Mistaking the man for one of Quincy Harker's agents, Dracula easily defeats the bodyguard, and throws him from the train. Dracula next runs into Frank and Rachel, who injure the vampire, but are unable to restrain him. The vampire escapes again, and encounters Gruber. Gruber insists that he must protect his master's documents, and Dracula scoffs at the idea that he might even care about such human concerns. Realizing that Dracula is a vampire, Gruber throws himself with the briefcase from the train. Before Dracula can react, Rachel fires her crossbow, causing Dracula to fly off toward his castle. Meanwhile, Gruber's body is found by an agent of Dr. Sun, who retrieves the case and reports that Grenet and Gruber are dead, as Dr. Sun ordered. McGruber! <laughs> it's all I was thinking the whole time. Urena summary, just like... Yeah... So, um, yeah. Death Rides the Rails, pretty good, but uh, I- I'm just going to run through these real quick because I have to get them out of my system. Okay, deep breath. Okay. From Transylvania with Love, Vampires on the Orient Express, the vampire vanishes, throw Dracula from the train. <laughs> like... Death Rides Rails sounds like one of those railroad safety videos that they used to make fun of on MST3K, like the one where, like, why don't they look? <laughs> or, or even, like, a turn-of-the-century, like, Depression-era, like, tale of, like, hobos traveling cross-country or something. Yeah, back in the day where, like, hobos were the greatest danger facing our children. 
So yeah, so it's 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 an interesting kind of thing. Like it, the so much of the issue being on the train really does give it more of a like '70s spy movie vibe. I can see that, and like the the intrigue on the train does kind of harken back to like we said the Agatha Christie sort of feel. Yeah, yeah. Where um, you, you are in this confined space, all of you running back and forth. And, and you've got the the mystery of the, the the briefcase and the the two new characters that accompany it, um, so yeah, it's got a little bit more. It's a different vibe than the other recent Tomb of Dracula stories. Also, we do have the secret organization of Doctor Sun, which is really ramping up at this. It point. is. We we've been getting like a page or two at a time each issue. And this is probably the most detail that we've gotten as far as what they're doing. And it seems like what they're doing is training a vampire army. That won't end up badly at all. <laughs> um, oh, also, Jack Russell. Yeah, Jack Russell, who, curiously enough, does not look like a prisoner of taboo in this issue. No, so I'm guessing that this is taking place after whatever the next issue of Werewolf by Night is. Probably. But that also means, according to the caption box, according to our good friend Roy, that we'll be seeing more of Jack Russell in the next issue of Tomb of, Tomb of Dracula. Yay! Um, and of course, on the last page, the same thing. Uh, next month, there shall be a different kind of Dracula story as the Lord of Darkness meets Werewolf by Night. So they are really just running these these crossovers one right after the other. Right, and I'm pretty sure that we do have an issue of Werewolf by Night before that. Yes, yes, because we have to wrap up the taboo story. Yeah, um, it's funny. So, it's funny. This is the same sort of thing that uh, the guys over at Make Ours Marvel were just talking about, in that they covered the issue of Fantastic Four that came after the Wedding Annual, but because it was the last part of an ongoing like three or four part story. It actually takes place before the annual, and so they had to, like, work that into the dialogue a little bit. That's such a good annual. It's pretty good. It's a big fight scene, which is weird, but it has some really great moments. Like when Jack and Stan are trying to get into the wedding. Yep, or uh, I'm pretty sure that that issue is the first sort of quote-unquote modern-day appearance of uh, Dum Dum Dugan and Gabe. Uh, as part of S.H.I.E.L.D. It might be. I'm behind on my reading for Make Ours Marvel. I've been reading along with them, and I'm behind, mm. unfortunately. It, it takes it takes a little longer for them to show up in the Nick Fury solo feature. I, I think they show up in that annual first. I, they don't show up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at all? Not at first. It takes them a couple stories before they show up. Like the first, the okay. first two or three Nick Fury stories that are Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, um, are really just Nick Fury. Okay, I've only read the first one. Okay, yeah. So you, I think you're maybe two or three stories behind then. Okay, that makes sense. Like I, I need to, right now. I'm reading the issue of Spider Man where the Green Goblin captures Spider Man, and the, the Crime Master. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It with, is involved with the uh, 
is it the guy from the newspaper? Uh, which which one of the villains might he be? And so on and so forth. Yeah, of course, I can't remember who the Crime Master is, despite reading these issues previously. <laughs> uh, but anyway, long story short, they're, they're pulling something similar here with continuity, where uh, they, in Tomb of Dracula, Jack Russell has already moved on beyond where he currently is in his own book. Which kind of is anticlimactic if you're reading all the Marvel horror titles, which I know you all are, lovely listeners. Yes. I'm like, oh, I guess... I guess Jack Russell doesn't end up being a slave at Taboo forever. Right. Or doesn't end up dying in the thing. Yep. Um, oh, so, uh, back to the beginning. Um. It's a very good place to start. Some weird stuff going on with Blade here. Just a bit. He gets bitten. Yeah, how does that even work? Well, at this point, he's still human. Sort of, but but he was born of someone who turned. Yes, but they've not established the half-vampire part yet. Right, right. They, they, we, they haven't really gone through what the rules for a daywalker are. No. They've not even established he is a daywalker. Right, right. He just has a grudge. Yeah. Because his mom and, was turned. And, and I'm pretty sure that he doesn't get, like... The, the powers, like in the animated series and in the movies, until basically those things happen in TV and film. That, that they sort of retroactively give him those vampire abilities because of how successful the movie and TV stuff was. Yeah. I could be wrong there, but that, that's my memory of things. Okay. I mean, I kind of, like, why do that for them? I, I feel, I feel like you're wrong there. I feel like it has to be some stuff, like, in the, in the 90s, right before that stuff happens. So, that's possible. It could have been, I could be conflating things. It could have been, because, um, let's see, just before all of that, in, in terms of him sort of breaking out into other media... Um, would have been like the Night Stalker stuff. The Night Stalkers and the Midnight Suns. Yeah, I feel like that's when he's got superpowers. So, one thing I wonder, because one thing that does get established earlier, I think, Mm -hmm. is that because he was born from a vampire mother, he has an enzyme in his blood that makes him resistant to vampirate to like the the infection of vampirism. Okay. I wonder, so I wonder if, if that that might come up next issue. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. That that sounds like something that's going to come up next issue. But also Dracula's racist. Oh, very, very much so. Which I mean that that makes sense. I'm not surprised by that. Are you surprised by that? No, I'm not surprised by that. I mean, I, I've seen Blackula. <laughs> Man, that's a good movie. It actually is, yes. It really is. <laughs> well, I know what trailer's going in before this. <laughs> um, also, while we're on that exact same page with Blade, um, I am more than a little salty 
about that note from Roy about a major plot point, like all of Dracula's coffins being destroyed, happening between issues. Just the ones in England and France. That seems like a big deal, though. Considering he's been spending a lot of time in England, uh, yeah, that seems like the kind of thing that would and especially be somewhat detrimental. It'd be one thing if the books were giving us anything with the Vampire Hunters, but how many issues now have there been where the Vampire Hunters have just had cameos? Well, now we know what they were doing. <sighs> right. I, I, so I guess that that's why Quincy was too busy to help with that that other killer in the last issue. <laughs> uh. So, but yeah, that, I, I it just felt weird that we didn't get to see any of what seemed like a pretty big deal in terms of shifting what Dracula's motivations currently are. Yeah. It just seems like a lot of this is just set up for the big crossover next issue. This is true. They needed to get Dracula to Transylvania for the crossover, because I'm, I'm guessing they want it to happen at the castle. That makes sense, too. Which, uh, that I mean, that cover's iconic now, so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, also... Despite what the mom seems to think, I don't think the kid is being particularly mean. Like, uh, being compared to Mr. Spock sounds like a compliment to me. I forgot that part. (laughs) I wasn't tired, Mom, so I came out and shot this funny-looking man. Did you see his ears? He looks like Mr. Spock. Fascinating. Uh, we, we, we do appreciate when, when they sprinkle in a little bit of Star Trek. Yes. Yes. Um, also, this was just a thing that stood out to me, and it could be that the issue I'm reading has the modern recoloring, but Rachel doesn't seem quite as scarred as the dialogue suggests she is. She does have a scar below her eye. Like, like, there's some lines around, like, the left side of her face, or near her eye. Yes. But, but it's, it's, it's almost like it's been colored over. You know, like, the, the, the coloring is downplaying that it's there. You can really see it on page 11. Yes. Uh, that, that where, close up. Yeah, and you see it in her profile, too. She kind of looks like, um, um, Strucker. Yeah. Yeah, but there are other panels where it's basically just not there. Yeah, like the artist forgot to put it in. Yeah. Um, like 17, it's not there. Yeah. And I do wonder how much of that is from the book being recolored or what. I, I just don't know. No, I don't know. But, but again, I... It's... This, this issue is fun. It's kind of a big, rollicking ad- adventure with Dracula sort of moving from conflict to conflict. <laughs> and I kind of enjoy that Dracula just can't catch a break the whole issue. Well, things on a train are fun. Because it doesn't stop. Yep. It's, it's a confined space. Yep. It's why, you know, stuff like Horror Express is fun. 
This is true. Even though it's it's a somewhat cheesy movie. Sure. And you have this sense of both literal and figurative momentum propelling the story forward. I like this issue, you're right. A- again, it, it has the same problem as any Tomb of, Tomb of Dracula we read. It's consistently good, so it's hard for anything to really stand out. But this was yeah. fun. Yeah, um, I do like uh, some of the stuff at the end with the, the sort of sort of one fight scene leading to another fight scene. There's some really good imagery in there. Um, Very kinetic. Yeah, especially the bits where, like, Dracula's, uh, like, mid-transformation as sort of a bat creature attacking uh, Rachel. Yeah. Um, And also, it's a little thing, but I just... In, in the close-up of Dracula strangling the bodyguard, uh, I, I just enjoy the touch that they put little bat cufflinks on his uh, shirt. I was sleeves. just looking at that, yeah. <laughs> For when you absolutely, positively, must overdo the theme. <laughs> Where would you buy those? Um, I figure they're custom. Does he send an agent to that? Or does he buy those himself? It's just like, hmm. We were holding these for Mr. Wayne. He he probably... Uh, Give them to me. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he probably, like, hypnotized the owner of, like, a fancy, like, men's clothing shop in London. And, and used the hypnotic power to force him to stay open late one night. Well, no, it's like I said, we were... Ho- we were holding this for Mr. Wayne. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, consistently good issue. Um, it I, does. I liked this one better than the last one. Yes. It, it felt more on topic than the last issue did. Like, it was nice yeah. having it was nice having Frank and Rachel back. With the the thing with, with the skeleton in a trench coat is it felt a bit like a placeholder. Yes. Because it's not part of our main plot. Yeah, it, it was almost like... And, and there was a little bit with Dr. Sun in the middle. But besides that, it felt like a fill-in. Yeah. You could take that issue out if you were, like, doing a Tomb of Dracula omnibus, and I don't think anybody would notice. No. Now, had there been, like, a page of... Like just 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 like how they jump to Ireland for Doctor Sun, if there had been a page that jumps over to the vampire hunters, talking about destroying Dracula's coffins. Yes, that would be better. That would have both set up for this issue and made that issue work better. I agree. Really nice setup. You know, you you're 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 like okay, all the wheels are turning. Yeah. Because. But instead, it felt like the wheels were spinning. Whereas this one, like we were saying, I mean, not to force the metaphor anymore, but it's full steam ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, passengers. Speaking of that, our next stop is going to be Fear number 20 with Morbius, the living vampire. Right after this. Hey. 
All right, Josh, we got to do this ad. We got to come up with something. What do we want people to know about Cinepunks? I don't know, man. I feel like they should know everything about Cinepunks. <sighs> All right. We're underachieving overachievers convinced that we know a thing or two about movies. Romance and adventure by the light of the silver screen. Is non judgmental movie criticism a thing? Not really, but we love you anyway. We love cinema, whether it's high art or low trash. Cinepunks, we're elitist, but only about real nerd shit. Liam and Josh, we have two microphones and the truth. Evil will have its finest hour when the grave opens and Count Yorga returns to walk among the living. Wouldn't it be something if vampires did exist? They do. Not in the classical sense, of course, but uh, there are those who thirst for blood. In fact, thrive on it. Can the dead desire? Can the lifeless lust? Can a vampire fall in love and give a normal kiss? Cynthia, what have I told you I possess the power to give you eternal life? Right now, this very moment. I'd say you were marvelously mad. Count Yorga returns from the land of the dead to seek a mate from among the living. This time, it might be you. One never knows when he might encounter some of the more unusual truths that exist in this world. See the return of Count Yorga, the most unearthly love story ever filmed. Here is a vampire picture you can really get your teeth into. In color, rated GP. Welcome back to Ideas. Our final issue for this episode is Fear Number 20 from February 1974. Writer is Mike Friedrich. Artist is Paul Galassi. Inker is Jay Abel. Letter is Tom Orzakowski. Colorist is George Russos. Editor is Roy Thomas. The living vampire, formerly known as Michael Morbius, once again stalks the streets of Los Angeles, eventually preying on a pretty young partygoer named Judy. His hunger sated, the man-monster is racked with guilt and decides this being a first issue of sorts, it's a great time to flash back to his origin, his tussle with Spider-Man and the Human Torch, and his previously unseen escape from the X-Men. Later, the unconscious form of Morbius is found by Rabbi Kraus and his companion, Reverend Damon. The Rabbi recognizes Morbius and is revealed to be a brilliant biochemist himself, immediately devoting his skills to trying to find a cure for Morbius. When the vampire escapes and tries to feed on the rabbi, however, he is subdued by the strange magical powers of Reverend Damon, who reveals himself to not be a servant of God, but of Satan. Instead of saving Kraus, however, Damon betrays him, ordering Morbius to kill him. Now, satisfied that the vampire is under his control, Damon sends the former scientist out into the night to slay the last person who might prove an obstacle to his gaining absolute power. Later, Morbius stops the limousine on a country road, tosses out the driver, and opens the back to find his target, a little girl. So, um, who exactly was calling for this book to happen? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I guess because he premiered in Spider-Man, he's a bigger name. 
and maybe they just want their own vampire character that other people can't imitate. Like you could, like other companies could technically bring a bring in a Dracula title. Sure, and and, because, and I mean there is a DC version of Dracula. I'm pretty sure. That seems like it'd be silly for it not to be. I know. I know. Like Batman has fought Dracula before, and oh yeah. One of my first ever comic books was a Superman Robin team up against Dracula. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and later on there was a, a modern like the you remember the the Superman Batman comic from like the early two thousands. No, but I believe you. Um, the the one that didn't have a title at the top of the cover, instead it just had like the logo with the bat and the S in the center. Okay. Um. Anyway, I'm pretty sure there was an arc in there where Dracula showed up. Makes sense. So, yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense. The Morbius is not public domain. He is a wholly owned Marvel creation. But I would rather have two Man-Thing books than two Morbius ones. I'm just not sure there's enough story there for two Morbius titles. Yeah. I mean, I can, I mean, I can imagine it. It's just I don't think that what they're doing with Morbius justifies two books. Well, we're, we are just at the point where Spider-Man has two titles with Amazing Spider-Man and Spider-Man Team-Up. Right. Like, that's within the past year. Right. So I'm not sure where the thinking is, hey, who should get their own, a second title as well? How yeah. about Morbius? And, and frankly, there are more misses than hits in Marvel history at this point in giving characters more than one book. Although I guess Dracula uh, does have does have another own title. He does, uh, but but like if you think back to like the previous decade of the '60s, like they tried it with Johnny Storm, they gave him his own feature alongside Fantastic Four, didn't work out too well. No, it really didn't. Oh gosh, I am so glad to be done with those. Am I am I read through though? Yeah. Um, now. A little more successful is uh, Nick Fury. He sustained two two books for a while. Okay, my problem with the Nick Fury book is it's it robs the earlier book of its danger. Right, because in the early days of Sergeant Fury, part of the idea was that at any time one of them could die. Like, it was a very Suicide Squad kind of thing. Yeah, and now with, you know him in the modern day quote unquote right you know he's not gonna die and then when you know guest stars from the other books are showing up it's like well i know dundum's not gonna die and so forth and even even before uh dum-dum and the other howlers join shield uh they're the the nick the the sergeant fury annual that comes just after his debut as an agent of shield korean uh, war uh, it is, uh, the, the, the annual is the Korean War, yeah. So, so you see Fury getting promoted, you see exactly which Howlers survived World War II, like, like, it, it you're right, that, that in that case, two books robs the character of, of suspense. We don't really have to deal with that here with a character like Morbius, but I do think that there's, there's just a lack of... I'm not sure what story you tell with Morbius that you couldn't also tell with one of the other monster anti-heroes. I, I think you're right. I, I just, like... 
because you could have put other characters into fear and like introduce a new character. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing, the only reason to put Morbius into fear is because they thought he might be a big character, and the worry is he wouldn't get enough exposure in a magazine as he would in, in a color comic book that That's would appear fair. in drugstores. There, there is stands. something to be said for that. I think I I like the. I love the color images of, of Morbius, so I am happy to see him in color. Um, although, we can talk about this, the art's a little weird in this book. I hate the art in this book. I don't hate it. I like the way Morbius is drawn, and that's about it. It, it seems like an art from another era. Like, I could easily, like... I could easily imagine this being... From, say, like, the 80s, or even, like, yeah, like, the late 80s. I'll tell like, you, what it looks like to me is late 70s, early 80s DC. Okay. But if you look at page 7, where Morbius, they're fla- he's doing the flashback to him holding Jean Grey hostage. Yeah. That is hideous. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. Like, the the perspective is kind of weird. What's going on with his neck? Like, the anatomy on Jean Grey is weird, too. Because it's just yeah. like, hey, let's show you bare stomach, and let's emphasize her boobs. But, like, her neck is going to have to be, like, super long here. Like his? Yeah, you're right. Just, and, like, okay, I think everybody just has a really long neck here. We've gone to Earth Giraffe. <laughs> But, yeah, no, I mean, like I say, some of the... That, that's a bad page. That's a real bad page. There are some... There are single images of Morbius that work well. Um, like, the bottom corner of page two, where he's in the shadows. Um, and even the top of the next page. Like, it's not technically the best, but I like what they're going for in terms of making him look more monstrous than Dracula, you know? Like, he's a little bit more of the, like, Nosferatu type. Yeah, but then, like, flip to the next page, page six, uh, skipping some ads, where Johnny Storm looks like he's having a seizure at the bottom page when he's just supposed to be flying around. Yeah. 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 Well, and... And and we, we could also just point to how, like ridiculous it is that a full three pages of this book are flashbacks to things from earlier books. That's actually not that bad. We've seen worse. We have seen worse, but, like, I don't know. Like, this is not so far removed from Morbius's other appearances that I think it's necessary. Like, if, if in fact, this book is by popular demand and that it is happening because readers shouted for it, then you shouldn't need to recap three pages of past stories. It's still a first issue. So it is. it is. I think they get a pass there. Although, really, did you need to... You could have condensed it into, like, a single montage page. Plug could have done it. Plug would have done this a lot better. Well, I would love to see Plug draw a Morbius book. Also, the timeline seems off. 
because when Morbius escapes from the X-Men, mm-hmm. they don't chase after him because Xavier says, no, it's too late. He's escaped. Besides, we have more pressing concerns. The mysterious abductions of the other X-Men. Details coming up in Captain America Falcon soon. And it's just like, well, if that's the case, we've moved this story down the line to where it would have appeared, like, say, almost a year ago. Right, right. So we've we've now migrated the story months down the line to sync up with, this, I guess, the Captain America issue. Right. And in terms of Morbius' timeline, that just seems unnecessary because the very next panel then makes the timeline vague again. Because he eventually ends up in Los Angeles, but they don't say how long it takes him to get there. Because as far as I know, at this point, the X-Men are still in Westchester. Yes, yes. So, in Westchester, in a place I have never seen them in before, it looks like a... Honestly, it looks like they're in a warehouse. Mm-hmm. The fabled X-Warehouse. <laughs> warehouse X. <laughs> The danger storage locker. <laughs> we never see it again because Xavier forgets to make payments on it. <laughs> I just imagine that's going to be a weird episode of Storage Wars. <laughs> All right, uh, we got a we got a floating wheelchair. Uh, this weird, these weird sunglasses. And a very stylish uh, telepathic helmet. We got some we got some blades that spin. <laughs> spin around and stuff. I don't know why you need that. And a lot of yellow leotards. <laughs> <laughs> Sold to the gentleman from Devo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, um, is mutant super intelligence actually part of Xavier's power set? No, it is not. I thought he was just like psychic and a bastard. Yes, he's 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 awful. That's part of his mutant ability is that he's awful. As Kitty Pride is happy to tell us. Yeah, but like, but here in in the comic. Yep, yeah, I don't see it. Also, how convenient is it that the rabbi that finds him and lying in an alley just happens to be a biochemist? Right. I don't know many rabbis who um, sideline as a biochemist. Although, Rabbi Marcus did teach at a university in addition to his duties at um, Tree of Life, so... I Hmm. guess you could do both. Ah, yes. Okay, it's not in the flashback. It is page 12, when when they're uh, experimenting on Morbius again. Oh, but if the mutant superintelligence of Professor X has failed, is it any wonder even the vaunted rabbi is stymied? stymied? Right, Like, and so it's not even like Morbius getting it wrong. Literally, the narrator in the caption box is saying that Professor X has mutant superintelligence. Even though it kind of looks like Xavier had him for all of an hour. Right, right. Also, did anyone else think that the redheaded priest who turns out to be a Satan worshiper 
was Damien Hellstrom for a second? For a second. Um, the hair is different. Like, like it, he, he's got a little bit more of a Widow's Peak receding hairline thing going. Yeah. But, yes, there's a definite similarity. I'm like, oh, are we getting a surpri- another surprise crossover here? No. No, it's, it's just more two-bit cultists. <laughs> Yet another two-bit cultist. I'm losing count. <laughs> Across all of these different 70s monster books, where all of these different Satan-worshipping cults show up, I am losing count. Yeah. And... Also, speaking of the the, re- the reverend here, mm-hmm. why reveal yourself in order to save the rabbi, but in the next moment you allow him to be killed in the same way you just saved him? Right? It's From. weird. It, it's, it, it seems a little redundant. Like, you know what? Just take it easy. Let him eat the rabbi, and then you take care of him. Which, I, I will say that uh, th- this guy, the, the cultist guy uh what's his name is his name damon damon yeah it's not um, damon as a d at the end so it's damon got got it um he's got a pretty snazzy like cultist coat yes it's 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 snazzy you know he he i would wear that it's a little yellow for my tastes, but you know, I, I want. I worry about uh, Hellstrom being out there in the desert with no shirt on so much. Like he, he could take some inspiration from this. True. And he's not at that leather pants phase either. So. Nope. <laughs> Although you can't be that impressed with the Reverend guy, who I swear gets like a more pronounced widow peak in each panel. Yes, yes. Uh, up until, like, late in the book, it looks like he just has a single tuft of red hair at the front of his forehead. Oh, no. <laughs> He's Pennywise. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you, it's hard to be that impressed with him. Not just because of the haircut, but... Also, because apparently the greatest threat to him is a little girl. Which, of course, I know is supposed to be the shock ending, but still. Yeah. Like, mm. Yeah, it, it's a... It's, it's a twist that was probably a little bit shocking in 1974. The but most we've kind of seen it before. The most innocent child I've ever seen. Good lord. Are you my victim? Yes, Michael. Yeah. She is. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It's We'll see what happens. I, I hate to say it, but based on this issue, it's not surprising that fear doesn't last much longer. Although, just one more thing about that last page. If you're judging by perspective here... That child is humongous. Yes, yes, that is a giant child. That she's a giant child, because like, even though Morbius is in the foreground and she's scooched up all the way to the back of the car, she is bigger than Morbius's. Like she's 
about the same size she would be if she was right next to Morbius. Yeah, like the scale of... And, and it's like a full-page image. And the scale of this, this panel is just all off. Like, yes, she's your victim, Morbius. She's a giant monster child. Right. <laughs> like, she is further away, but her head is almost as big as his. Yep. It's a uh, weird... Like, and then again, like, uh, who did the art on this one? Galacy? Don't know who that is. Me neither. Uh, I know I'm Mike Friedrich. Paul um, Galacy. Because Mike, cause, cause Mike Friedrich uh, co-created Merlin in Green Arrow. Is he Gary Friedrich's brother or something? They are not related. Really? Yeah, weird, right? Uh, but but Mike Friedrich uh, co-created Merlin. Um, he co-scripted the first appearances of Thanos and Drax. Um, so he did a good bit of work with Starlin. Um, he actually was one of the owners and operators of WonderCon in San Francisco for a long time. Oh, nice. Um, now, Paul Galassi, who I just did a quick Google search for... Um, Best known for Master of Kung Fu, yeah. Looks like it, yeah. Um, he... Okay, this is apparently his first major work for Marvel that we're looking at. Okay. Um, he switched over to inking for a little bit. He did uh, an issue of Daredevil as an inker. Um... Let's see. And then uh, also in 74 is when he began work on Shang-Chi. Okay. And looking at some of those other examples of his work, he does get better. Yeah. No, like I say, this is this is by, by the accounts that I'm seeing his very first like major professional work right here. Yeah. So it gets better. Yeah. And... Uh, and he's still around. He uh, he was doing some work for DC and Marvel as recently as the early to mid two thousands. Interesting. So, yeah. It does. It does look like his style has evolved. Yeah. Well, he he worked with. Uh, uh, apparently, he was in spotlight. His his early inspiration was Steranko. That makes um, sense. But that he also uh, sort of struck up some partnerships with specific writers that kind of sent him in in interesting artistic directions. Like he collaborated with Don McGregor on some stuff. Okay. Yeah, like it looks like he he worked a lot with McGregor on uh, Masters of Kung Fu and then on some stuff for Eclipse Comics. Yeah, they they did one of the early graphic novels. Okay. Um, which was technically published like 2 months before Will Eisner's graphic novel A Contract with God. But you're not going to outpublicize Will Eisner. Right, right. No. So, um so yeah, so Paul Valesi is is a known quantity. He's he's Got a bunch of credits. What we're looking at is one of, if not his actual first professional credit for Marvel. Okay. 
So, so I think we can we can give a little bit of leeway there. I think. Yeah. And you're gonna have to cut out the air conditioning sound. I just realized. That's fine. But you could do it. There's a sound removal tool for that. Yeah. But this first issue of Morbius doesn't convince me that we need a Morbius book. Well, just not a whole lot happens. No. Like, we have three pages of flashback. We waste our opening on his attacking that woman that we have no attachment to. No. Um, so that's like half your pages right there. Yep. Um, and then we finally get into the actual meat of the story of trying to cure Morbius, but then it ends up being a red herring because it's really this Satanist wanting to hypnotize him and take control of him. I don't know. It, it's, it just feels all over the place. It does. So, of the issues we talked about, which one's your favorite? Um, hmm. I... So, Ghost Rider is the best Ghost Rider we've had in a while. But... I gonna I'm gonna have to go with Tomb of Dracula. Okay. Which seems like a cop out because Tomb of Dracula is always good. It, it is a cop out, which is why I'm actually going with Ghost Rider number four. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's because totally fair. I mean, I was more than pleasantly surprised by that Ghost Rider comic. I think it might just be because I'm giving it so much wiggle room. <laughs> I'm giving it so much allowance because we haven't had a good Ghost Rider story up to this point, or at least not a good complete Ghost Rider story up to this point. Mm-hmm. Like a, a full issue of Ghost Rider, which is actually good. Right. That this seems like the first of that. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I am hopeful that this is the beginning of sort of a course correction for the book. Yeah. But I think that does do it for another issue of Tomb of Ideas. So we should probably talk about the issues we're going to talk about next episode, which is going to be Man-Thing number two and Vampire Tales number three. So we're going back to Morbius. Yep. So we've got a uh, supersized episode of horror magazines. Yep. Um, oh, one thing we didn't mention, which maybe it goes without saying, but as usual, Adventure Into Fear had a uh, backup story, but it's a reprint and it's real bad, so that's all I'm going to say about it. There you go. But, so like last time we had, this time we had back-to-back Draculas, and yep. now we're going to have back-to-back Morbius, which is interesting. It is. It is. Um, and, and of course, we'll, uh, I think, be getting the return of Satana. Yeah. So maybe a little bit more than just that very quick uh, introduction to her that we had last time. When's the last time we had a Damon Hellstrom issue? Um, did we have one last month? We did. Okay, yeah, thirteen. Yeah. It just seems like forever. It's um. It was episode thirty-six. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Episode thirty-six. So, not that long ago. No, that was, what, two episodes ago? Yeah, two episodes yeah. ago. So, um, 
And it, I tell you what, it really feels like we haven't had in a while is, um, do you remember way back when we had a single issue of The Living Mummy? <laughs> True. Wow. Gosh. That's because they did a few issues on a different thing. They did. They didn't, it wasn't continuous. No. Wow, that is wild. <laughs> Anyway, if you want to tell us how wild you think it is, we haven't talked about with Living Mummy in a while, you can, of course, always reach us at our email address. That's tombofideas at gmail.com. Our Twitter, is, our Twitter handle is at tombofideas. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash tombofideas. And we are, of course, as always, proud members of the Cinepunks podcasting group. That's right, and so you can find us along with all of the other great Cinepunks podcasts and articles on Cinepunks.com. That's Cinepunks with an X. Uh, you can also find this podcast and other Cinepunks podcasts wherever you got this current episode that you're listening to. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher. Wherever you look for podcasts, you can find us and our Cinepunks friends there. So uh, make sure you like us, subscribe us, give us feedback. Let us hear from you. We love to hear from listeners and to get feedback. I was just chatting with uh, a new listener the other day about Brother Voodoo on Twitter, so that's always fun. Uh, so let us hear from you. Speaking of hearing from listeners, we actually have had some feedback from Jesse McAllister, who oh, we've really? talked about before. He is a uh, he's a mask designer who's been working on Marvel horror character masks, and he's we've seen seen before his very awesome work on a werewolf by night and a hobgoblin mask. But he's also recently done a Morbius mask, which looks amazing, and which I will make sure to link us make sure to post in the uh, Twitter feed around the time this episode comes out. Yeah. Oh, wow. I just I just saw that in, in our feed, and that is really cool. Yeah, it is. It's, it's like, it looks extremely comics accurate. He does extremely nice work in that vein. Yeah, um, and, and it's very much like the sort of mid-70s Morbius. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So... If you are listening to this episode, you go to Tomb of Ideas, at Tomb of Ideas, to find that posted there, and I'll try to tag Mr. McAllister in that as well if I can. So really, really great work. He's been keeping us up to date on that, and it's really nice. Yeah, very cool. So if you're doing cool monster-related stuff, especially Marvel monster-related stuff, tag us. Let us know about it. We will, we will signal boost stuff like that. Definitely. Anyway, I guess I, that does it for another episode. I think so. Um, I guess I'm looking forward to a couple of magazines. <laughs> I mean, as much as we look forward to magazines at all, because, man, those are hard to get through sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's get to it. Yep, so uh, until next time, bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Until next time. <laughs>
tubers. Excelsior! <laughs>